Hey, before we get started, we're excited to announce that The Cool Ship can now be found on Glass Onion Radio, which is a nifty little blue station on the internet. Go to glassonionradio.co for the schedule and let us know what you think. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Cool Ship Podcast, dedicated to beer lovers, home brewers, and professionals alike. With your hosts, Warren, the Professor Wilson, and Matt, Zigmeister Ziegler. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grab a beer and chill on the Cool Ship. Podcast, you know it's hard for me to say that because I don't remember the name of this show. So, welcome to the cool, <laughs> welcome to the cool ship podcast. I'm Warren, the host, along with Matt Ziegler. I'm over here in the jungle. Um, <laughs> he's getting a beer right now, and today is we have Chris King of NJ Hops, along with Keith Mazina of NJ Hops. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome uh, to your show. Pleasure to be here. Um, these two were on our previous show. Uh, we had um, discussions on what to call it, so it was our Party Guile episode. Um, it's just a little bonus-ode, as our um, producer likes to call it. Bonus-ode! Bonus-ode! <laughs> <laughs> Nothing much has changed since the last time we met. And right now... <laughs> since the last time we met was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, but they don't need to know that. <laughs> Been forever, guys. <laughs> Glad you're back. Glad you're back too. Good to see you. Now um, we're it's drinking. The month of March. We're drinking a filtered lager from Ireland. The month of March. It's very, uh, very much so one of my favorite months. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Because this, I get to drink without excuse. Th- this beer's from Ireland. Harp. Yeah. It's imported, isn't it? It's a product of Canada these days. <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, it's from the makers of Guinness, for crying out loud. I understand where you're going with that. But just like everything, it always ends up in Canada. Yep. (laughs) It's kind of like Bass is brewed in upstate New York now, so. Yep. Just like Zygmunt Brewing is going to be brewed in New York State by by Paradox Brewing, so he can distribute it up there. (laughs) No, nothing like that. It'll be made by Zygmunt Brewing, who happens to have a brewery in every state. <laughs> Extremely <That's> inefficient. <laughs> Very outreaching. So you going to Sam Adams bottle? Right? Yeah. Is it Stone that has an East Coast and a West Coast and a German brewery now? Probably. I think Stone. Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada. Stone has one. Sierra Nevada has one. Sierra Nevada's got an East Coast one. They just so Stone does too. Stone's yeah. the same yeah. thing. I think in the Asheville, North Carolina, I think was the biggest. Mm. I don't know. There's Stone in Germany, went too, but I know they're in Europe. I think they're. Well, I think they're. No, that's Norway. Brooklyn, that's. Brooklyn Brewery and Sweden. Brooklyn. Yeah. So anyway, uh, today we're going to be reviewing some uh, infamous Irish beers. Well, well, 
I don't know if you want to call them Irish beers now that they're made worldwide everywhere. Um, Irish brands at any rate. Irish brands. Um, typically, historically, uh, we'll be talking about these and hopefully we'll be getting the information right. So as the night goes on, um, we already have a good portion of beer in us. We're going to have more beer in us uh, and by the end we'll have a Guinness. So, um, <laughs> oh, Warren, that here's to one. Guinness <laughs> in us. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Shlancha. So let's so talk about the Irish beer tradition, Warren. Irish beer tradition. Um, realistically and historically speaking, Irish beer started in England. Wait, sorry, Keith's brothers in, in firefighting. Oh, my away. heart! Yeah. <laughs> there it goes. Something in Hackestown is burning. No, they just heard we're drinking Guinness and they want yeah. to get over <laughs> <laughs> Um, historically speaking, uh, mostly English brewers um, who moved over to Ireland to brew beer took some recipes over there and Ireland put their own twist on it. Now, before that, I'm not quite sure what was going on there. I know Vikings have a uh, good influence on Ireland, and with that said... Well, probably most of the English need, island, because that's where the, the word that's where ale they raided, came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... And I wonder how much of that was a distilling culture. Right. You know. Now, I think this lager type is a later development for the Irish style. I think Irish was typically ales, mm. and they were more darker beers, brown ales, porters, mm. and porter stout porters, and then you know eventually that porter nomenclature fell off and became stouts, and everyone knows and equates Ireland with Get a stout. So um, I think that's mostly because of the water in Ireland. Their water tended to be hard, mostly alkaline. Be, mostly because it was an English brewer that came over to Ireland and brewed porters. They didn't have any kind of killing process when the porters came over to Ireland. They didn't have any able to be uh, to adjust their kilning to light malts. It was what was available to them for the brown malts. And English were making porters at the time. This was like in 1700s, and. Uh, before you knew it, thank you. The the Guinness family actually opened up a brewery. I think it's one of the oldest, no, in oldest New World breweries. Would you consider it New World since it was over in England? Or no, or one of those is well, really, really New old. World is North South America, so that's is is Guinness the the brewery that when they signed their lease it was for like mm, yeah nine hundred ninety nine nine hundred ninety nine year lease yeah. 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 Um, and when they signed that lease, they actually were going to—they actually were going to be put under. They were going to go uh, face down and close the store. But they landed a contract with the army, um, the Irish army, and they started making export. And when they started making export, which was also a darker beer, they started shifting it to the eastern or the western Western Isles, those British Isles that we know today of. Caribbean and all that other place, um, all those other little islands out there. Oh, okay, down uh, Aruba, mm-hmm. Aruba, Jamaica, Jamaica, Jamaica yeah, yep, all the Jamaica stuff. So, mm-hmm. export became very popular because they can make the beer without getting taxation or taxed um, on the beer, uh, and that kind of saved them. And you know, selling it to the army was one of the smartest things they could have done, and they are still in existence today. Um, doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Obviously, when you have on the other side of the world making your your beer, mm. harp. 
Didn't Guinness come out with a blonde just recently too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. Now, tell me what the difference between a blonde and a lager is, Chris. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Put me on the spot. Well, as far as I understand, the difference is actually in the, in the yeast mm-hmm. and the, the uh, brewing temperatures. Whereas a lager is brewed at uh, colder temperatures with a fermented lager yeast. Fermented, excuse me. Brewed. I've already same thing. <laughs> same thing. You, you get yeah, ales are, are um, fermented at higher temperatures, mm-hmm. about sixty Fahrenheit. So they are not interchangeable. They are. <laughs> no, if you're if you're trying to support Budweiser and Coors and whatnot, they're interchangeable. They're interchangeable. You can't cold brew something because you need to boil it in the brewing process. Understood. You can ferment it later on. Right. There's the brewing side, nope, and there's you're missing the one, cellaring one, side. One, one point. What's that point? When it's acceptable amongst millions of people to say brewed as interchangeable than fermentation, then it's acceptable. Okay, so spelling your, you are, Y-O-U-R, mm-hmm. acceptable by most people, still wrong. No, not acceptable <laughs> by most people. Sure it is. No, your is possessive, you are is not. I know, which okay, is guys. wrong. No. Back to beer. But, no, I, I know what you're saying, Matt. <laughs> It's acceptable. If you've Same ever been brew on is acceptable for fermenting. You know, but that's almost like <laughs> it's apparently acceptable. That's almost no like matter how much you marketing. dislike that, it's acceptable. It's a when it's, it's a marketing term. Well, it's also a layman's understanding. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the other the part. Average, of it. The average Bud Miller and Coors drinker doesn't know how beer is made. Well, the, ad- the average. You no, know, and I'm not knocking anybody because you know. don't have to know something's made to enjoy it. Obviously, no. I know that. But what I'm saying is an acceptable way to say brewed. Go ahead. Anyway. Anyway. I guess I'm a home brewer, not a home fermenter. <laughs> you only well, boil see, the stuff? I always look at the word brewing it. as, like, the entire process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, saying cold brewed, I agree with Matt and I. Like, cold brewed is, like, impossibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a boiling process. There is a mashing process. That's well, I agree with both of you. Guys, you guys should know that. I agree with that 100%. But yeah. is it acceptable? It, it is. That's why I'm yeah, trying to educate going... the population and that it's not acceptable. Learn the proper <laughs> terms. <laughs> I'm teaching you the terms. Learn the terms. You're you're behind. <laughs> I'm not behind. That makes no. You're behind the eight ball. Yeah, you are because it's already out there that it's cold brewed has already been out there. It's been out there before you were even born. Yes, but it's wrong. I know it is. I'm not saying. So I'm that trying not... to correct. It's not wrong. It's accept. <laughs> I'm saying it's acceptable, even though it's wrong. It's still acceptable. That's not. The, those Dude. those two concepts right there. <laughs> I was if it's wrong, I can't accept it. There you go. You right. know, Markow Corporation does not think that it is acceptable to call their product Kleenex. It is facial tissue, right? I mean, I think it's Kleenex well, is a brand. Well, I don't think Markow has anything to say about it. I think uh, Kimberly Clark has a lot more to say about yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a brand. Thing. Kleenex is a brand. It's not. It's well, I guess totally my, my point there's is no that there's there's collo- like, to Chris's Chris's point was about colloquialism, mm-hmm. right? So colloquially, people call it brewing, but within the biz, you Matt know all the process. Yeah, we, yes. we know, you know that, that you can't yeah, cold yeah. brew, can't cold boil beer, right. <laughs> can't cold boil wort. <laughs> right. Anyway. 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 So, the so ale. Where I end up? The ale, lower temperatures, usually about fifty-five degrees for for lager for lager. The ale that's Boy, I'm, I'm, uh, We're only on the first one. Well, well, the, the blonde ale. The, the next one. I don't the know. The blonde ale, I think, you know, the blonde ale, again, higher temperatures at about the mid-60s, depending on. Green Bull's usually a little bit different, too. 
Blondale's, this is very Pilsner heavy. You get the Pilsner graininess right in, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, feel of it. But in general, a lager doesn't necessarily have to be a Pilsner malt. No, not at all. Was you, know, you could use the same same malt bill and, and using a different, uh, using the different yeast and different uh, temperatures, you can get a different character. Right. I've yeah. done that. I've actually done that with the cream ale where one of the recipes I had said to split the batch and use half lager, half ale yeast. And you actually, even with the lager yeast at ale temperatures, you got a cleaner finish with the lager yeast mm -hmm. than you did with the ale yeast. It was a very interesting experiment. We just found out that um, back in 2014, S. eubeana which was uh, a yeast strain that was found, it was one of the precursors. So there's two, there's two yeasts that created Pastorianus. Pastorianus is the lager yeast. Mm -hmm. right? um, the other one is Cervaceae. Mm -hmm. Cervaceae. So Cervaceae and Pastorianus, over time, Shared a genome and came up with a third called Eubanus. Or no, past, uh, Cervasia and Eubanus shared a genome and came up with Pastorianus, and that's where they find they think lager yeast strains came from through mm -hmm. uh, selective uh, breeding. Yeah. Now Reusing. nowadays, brewing yeast doesn't have the ability to exchange genes with each other. No, no, yeah, they've lost so, that. So, yeah, it's all separate, and they lost that. They lost that ability. They've well, it's all engineered. Essentially, there are only like what truly three or four different lager strains. It's not like like ale yeast is like almost. No, but even with ale yeast, it's the same. They don't have that ability to hybridize. So, right, right. So strains. When you're talking strains, you're talking um, Saccharomyces. Saccharomyces goes from lager strain to ale strain or whatever. But the strain, uh, there's two. Uh, what they called parent strains, and that was Cervaceae and Eubonus. Eubonus was found in 2011, uh, 2011 in the forests of Patagonia. Okay, Pat I remember hearing about this. Um, yeah. There was a big, huge article in Zymergy. Mm -hmm. um, it was very interesting that they didn't know about this strain before. They have since then updated in this latest Zymergy just recently. They found it two other places, one in Cairo and one in Michigan. Mm. So they now know that this Eubonus strain has been around for a very long time, and that the strain, along with Cervaceae, um, had developed a, like a daughter, a daughter strain that shared both genomes um, and became Pastorianus over time through selective breeding or selective uh, 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 evolution. Um, it got rid of impurities and became very strong, and then now competed both Cervaceae and Eubonus to become the lager yeast we know today. Um, so, and that was through force um, selective, where humans interjected. Humans put their beer in caves because it was illegal to brew in the summertime, so they started doing stuff uh, underground and storing beer underground because it was a lot colder. Um, and that's what really developed this Pastorianus, named so after Pastor, um, who discovered it's interesting because the other thing that went to this particular style of looking at this lager was in that same 19th century area was the switch to people drinking their beer out of clear glasses rather than in uh, 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 opaque pewter, tankards, right? yeah. pewter mm -hmm. tankards or things like that. And so the, the aesthetics of this light blonde lager were very, very appealing. It was very modern for the time and that's why it really caught on. Well, they, they, they didn't have the capability to kiln the malt properly. I, uh, Vienna lager was the first lager that was 
developed, and then the Czechs started making lighter and lighter malts, mm -hmm. and became the Czech Pilsner afterwards. But um, anyone know the guy's name who invented the kiln, the drum kiln? No, not a fan. Oh, I don't remember his name now. Wheeler. Last name is Wheeler. <laughs> How appropriate. Yeah. If it's a drum kiln, right? Please Pretty. record. Please go back to episode one of the Cool Shit Podcast, where where Warren describes this drum kiln. <laughs> <laughs> but he he developed this kiln. This is the was, audio hyperlink, huh? Right. <laughs> it was it was uh, tough to click. Please on, click here to go back to that episode. Here he was able to then kiln that 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 to the Lovey Bond color who. Joseph mm -hmm. W. Lovey Bond came up with the Lovey Bond scale. So a lot of this stuff kind of happening almost in parallel or in, in and around that kind of Because people in. wanted to drink water, and water was not potable. They didn't understand why water killed you. They had no idea that their microorganisms in water harmed you. So they were drinking beer because they knew beer was safe. And so the, the whole effort for us to get to a clear liquid so people can see how clear it is. The clearer it was, the less of impurities it had in it. And um, that's that was our goal. And hmm. Pastorianos came along, and they just started making very, very clean, clear beer. I mean, this beer is not bad. It's got a lot of what Keith says, a lot of Pilsner flavor to it. Nice white, stark white head, and a good lacing on the sides of the glass when finished. Mm -hmm. So it's got a good dose of hops. Yeah, but it's a very noble hop. Yeah, noble hop, very continental kind of, very <clears throat> you know German pills, uh, Czech Czech pills kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, Grainville. For this? Yeah. Mostly Pilsner malt. I mean, you get yeah. some probably some pale malt in there, too. There's a little bit more graininess in there. I would say it's probably maybe a 50-50. Maybe it's all pale malt. Uh, but you're, you're, it's definitely full, almost full base. I'm not really getting much of anything else. All Pilsner? Either all Pilsner or all pale. Um, I, would, I wouldn't say there's much specialty at all in this. Well, can you tell by the color if it would be Pilsner or pale? I mean, it's not the lightest, lightest, lightest beer. It might, I mean, it's pretty light, so I would say probably Pilsner off, off the, the color of it. Um, but it does have a little bit more graininess. Yeah, it's got a flavor. good gold color, so, I mean, it could be a mix of, like, Pilsner well, and M.O. or something like that and get a little bit of that biscuity kind of thing to it. Mm. The thing that that got me right off the bat when I when I, uh, when I I first poured it was the, the Noble Hop, Aurora right, yeah, that yes. really said that, I mean, it didn't strike me as Irish. This struck me as, yeah, like as a German pills, yeah, mm -hmm. continental pills. One of many that are out there, whether it's you know, uh, you know, Dutch pills, German pills, Czech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're all very. They're all you know, inspired by each other. Right. Very Grosch-like. Yes. Yeah. With that sweetness, there's a sweetness to this malt that I. You think it might sit over my... with a kind of like in the Kolsch area? No, Grolsch is a Kolsch, isn't it? No. no. Really? Yeah. yeah, Grolsch is not. It's a play on it's not a it's not a Kolsch. Ha! Um, All right. Well, that that it's a that it's a <laughs> it's a Dutch Pilsner. Is that what it is? Is it from Deutsch? It's Dutch. It's, it's Dutch, Dutch. I don't know yeah. what the style is, yeah. but I mean everything's a damn. Lager of some um, sort. Well, it's got yeah, that, it's I mean, got that even yeah. I don't know. sulfurness, but you also have that sweetness. The sweetness is like there's this is this is very sweet from what I thought it would be, but so it's you, clean. It's very Saint clean. Saint Paul, girl has a little bit of that too. Yeah, yep. I'll um, I'll give you a little information here, right? Harp. So Guinness was founded in 1759. Harps is made by Guinness, but was created in 1960. I thought so. So yeah, what? What you know, Warren? I mean, what might have been going on in 1960 that would 
prompt them to make a lager? I mean, was that were were the American beers starting to take over, or, or was the tastes were changing, or was it just German styles were becoming popular around the world? Or well, I think uh, there's been a push in 19. We all know the Great Experiment ended 1933. Mm. Um, well, I think the big thing... That 30 years down the road, you're talking big breweries. Yeah, I mean, the big thing they're probably looking at is they're sitting there going, just kind of like, but today they're sitting there going, lagers are becoming the next big thing. People love our stout right. already. Let's get into the lager world. Exactly. I mean, right now... Just like a lot of people are what getting they just made their, they just, like you, We're just talking about Blondale. They just made their Blondale with Mosaic hops. Yeah. They got into that, I'm sure, because they wanted to put yep. one of those new hops into something and get more people. Guinness has a nitro IPA now, too. Yeah, yeah. and it, there's, it's nothing yeah, well, new in the realm of beer. When something becomes popular, beer everybody kind of does it. And, and, and in 1960, um, these German-style lagers or American-style lagers were, were all, all the rage. And, and certainly, if you look at Britain in particular... It was shortly after that time that you saw the rise of Camera, the campaign for real ale, because there were people in Britain that were afraid that all of these loggers coming in would do away would, with would do away with the traditional British beers. Yeah. So well, the American loggers around that period, they had already been all like adjunct loaded, either corn or rice or something. American loggers have been adjunct loaded even before Prohibition. It was um, became even six, more six row. You had to, yeah. with six row being so high in protein, you had to add something to it that was just sugar to offset it. That didn't have any protein in it, so that you could brew, you could brew it properly. The diastatic power of six yeah. row would help you change over some adjunct. Well, there was too had, much protein, right? Yeah, you, you, you used it at all yeah. with the six yeah. row at the time. But the whole the whole point being here. that both from the American side, where light lagers after Prohibition, after World War II, were basically very popular. And that feeding into Europe, and even continental Europe, where lagers have been popular since the 19th century, kind of feeding in. That was it was kind of riding this wave yeah. coming through, and everybody was piling on. And um, back, if you look back in the 60s, I could probably attest to some of this being imported. Mm -hmm. Imports were looked at differently in the 60s. They were just starting to come as imports. As a matter of fact, the movement for Saison uh, Dupont didn't happen until the late. 70s or early 70s so imports were few and far between you had very few people coming in to u.s with their beer mm -hmm. um, very hard to get and harp jumping on the bandwagon since it was just across the pond probably was an easy one or easier one to import mm -hmm. um, and acquire uh, harp's been around for a long time people love it it's a it, i could see why they like it it's a well-made beer i am just not one for Lagers or pilsners. Um, lagers, I should say, I'm not against because I like making them. I just, this is, I think there's some more complexity to a beer um, that's made with an ale strain of yeast. However, brewing lagers is not easy. Um, brewing a light lager like this is, is <coughs> and to be well, this clean is very is difficult. Yeah. Very difficult because any. You know you're a good brewer any that you have with you. Will, any flaws will, will come be right, right in your face. You know you're a good brewer if you can make a good lager. Yeah. So we talked about Grainville, and we got Keith here, who's actually a bit of an amateur water expert. So what would you think of... Emphasis on the amateur. Well, yeah, what would you think of in terms of a water profile for something like this? Well, it's definitely a very soft water source. That's pretty much most of your very light beers originated in areas that had very soft water, like Pilsen water is famous 
for being almost rainwater quality. It had no minerals, what's, very little mineral whatsoever. Um, these days, it's you can almost make the same type of water anywhere. Reverse osmosis lets you get away with a lot. You know? And maybe that's what Guinness started doing if they were still mm -hmm. brewing this in Ireland because, as we've talked about yeah. earlier, um, one of the reasons why Guinness Stout was the way it is because dark of the, malts, the hard Let, water. Mm -hmm. I have the same thing when I brew at, at home where it's, you know, there's a residual alkalinity and the, the dark malts help with that. Right. The manufacturer states that harp is made with pure water from the Cooley Mountains, uh, Dundalk. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. So if it's mountain water, it's, it is... Probably it's snow melt runoff, run which would be very low mineral content. Low mineral mm -hmm. content. Yeah. Now, obviously, this stuff made in Canada now, it's not... Yeah. Made with <laughs> pure water from the had, Holy Mountains. Before yeah, you read that, I was thinking it's in St. John's, New Brunswick. So it would be interesting to see what their water profile is, or whether they have an RO system well, that they just kind of like replicate. Canada, Kent's probably known for their soft water from the glacial melt. Um, well, Canada's, I mean, all their beers aren't just about everything. Everything's a lager, so yeah. I'm sure it's all soft. But I was just thinking before you said that, I was thinking maybe they had some Irish guys go out on a boat. And secure an iceberg and bring it in, melt some water. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like what a bunch of Irish people. <laughs> they would do that, right? <laughs> uh, it's funny. All right, so anything else about this? Make, making this, is this a low temperature, high temperature mash if you try to make something like this? It's a cold brood. It's cold brood. <laughs> what about the mash? <laughs> they said cold brood. Cold mash. Cold, it's cold, cold mash. <laughs> yeah. Well, like make it 20 degrees. Mash your grain. Let's go. Well, I mean, for a match, you're probably on the low end. It's probably yeah, 150 this, degree yeah. match. The whole idea behind like a this type of light lager is a clean, crisp finish, which generally points towards a low mash temperature. You know, and a, and a low final gravity somewhere. Time like 10, frame 08. for a lager, Matt. What would you consider a good time frame for a bigger brewery like yours? For the whole process to go through. It? Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. looking at a two week ferment, and then probably a two month lagering. You know, because you, when you're dropping your temperature down, you want to make sure your yeast doesn't go dormant. It just it stays active, but it slows down. And there's a very fine line as to how quickly you can drop your temperature down to stop yeast and shocking them and going dormant and keeping them around. You need to be dropping your temperature like two degrees a day. So you're going from your 50, 55 that you're fermenting at down to 32 two degrees a day. So that's going to take time to get you down there. And then you have to sit it there for probably at least at least two weeks at the lagering stage. So How is it that people like Harp can put out beer quickly? Actually, they don't. It's that they, they, they've they're making so much volume of it that it never a, seems like there's... Basically a pipeline of it running. Yeah, but the, I mean, they, they have made it efficient so that they can make certain bits of the brewing process faster. I'm sure they ferment under pressure to increase the speed of fermentation. Um, oh, does, explain does that. I've never heard that before. It's, what it's a very mean? odd process. What is it? You, I, you I, put pressure on the you, yeast? You can, you can actually ferment under pressure in order... But the problem it is you get weird... It reduces esters. So if no, you ferment... It, it actually increases a lot of other side products, and you have to... That's why they say... Drink it cold, or drink it—you know—make sure it's cold when you drink it. A lot, a lot of times, American lagers are fermented that way, and they'll have off flavors if they're warm or warmer. That's why they want it as cold as possible because you don't taste things when they're cold. Mm. So, you know, at NHC, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. I was reading one of the uh, 
the online webinars and I got into that by I'm brewing my first lager now there's actually another process for fermenting a lager you do your ferment at say 50 to 52 degrees till you reach at least 50% attenuation once you've gotten to that point your yeast growth phase is done so now the temperature isn't as important and you ramp it up to ale temperatures mm -hmm. about 65 66 degrees and then the beer awesome. will finish out faster and clean up after it's up while it's finishing out you can basically cut the whole like lager brewing process almost in half you could but then you still drop the temperature at the end right of you're still to gonna, clean you're up, still to gonna clean drop out the yeast or what yeah. I'm not right. sure right you're still gonna cold crash and you can even speed that up a little bit by uh, by using findings now I've done it that way with 3470 which is fermentous with making a cover fast I mm -hmm. use 3470 that way I've uh, done it here um, at 56 or 57 degrees. I ramped it up, finished it like a regular beer. Said, okay, that's done. Let's bottle it now. And I've had it after a week in the bottle, uh, which is, it's good. It's, 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 it's good beer. But after about a month of it sitting in the fridge, it scrubs up so much better. So the lagering technique happens in the package, in my opinion, than it does in a ferment, in a fermenter. I mean, that, that yeast will continue to scrub and scrub and scrub. Yeah, and it's perfectly fine doing that in a homebrew setting. Yeah. If you're a larger brewery and you're baking a lager, a lot of times you don't want any yeast in there. You pasteurize it. You don't want any yeast in there. So you can't rely on any yeast in packaging to right. finish it up. In a homebrew process, in a homebrew site, right. yeah, you know, lagering in your bottle is perfectly fine. You're going to have some yeast in there. It's going to be used for carbonating. Let it lager for you over time and in the bottle. I mean, right. that that'll work no problem. Yeah. Um, I have like I have seen it. My point was after two weeks of lagering in the bottle, it just got better with time and age. Mm -hmm. So either I'm spending the time in the front end, or I'm spending the time on the back end. I'm still spending time. So it doesn't matter to me which one I do. All yeah. I know is that. For me as a store to get people in and out of my store, I need to do time in the bottle rather than time in the fermenter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, they both turn out really well. They really do. I suppose all of our all of my beers that end up in the refrigerator for two, three weeks, four weeks, a month. <laughs> they're all lagers at the end by that point, aren't they? <laughs> well that's all, the thing. Lagers depends all, on what you do. Lagered. Lagered. Yeah. Lagered. Yes, Lagering is a verb. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah. Lagered means storage. Yes, Lagered. Yep. In, Ger in German yeah. lagered means storage. Stored cold. Which is why the lager beer became that way. It's a stored beer. That's why I call it. It happened to have a different yeast, style of yeast that was used specifically for that, but it was a stored beer. As opposed to an amp. Take a break. Take a break. Come back. Next beer. Smithix. Coming up. Smithix. Smithix. Smithwick. podcast yeah we are uh all holding a smithix not a 
Smith Wicks. In our hand. I'm trying to figure out if this was also brewed in Canada. <laughs> um, no, oh, this one's a product of Ireland. So, this 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 shit's legit. Well, it's not from Kilkenny anymore. It's brewed in Dublin, but that's uh, okay. Well, it's Guinness now. It concerns me. <laughs> what? What concerns you? Clarity. Clarity. Mm-hmm. What? That it is that clear, it is or clear? that it, that's perfectly clear? Well, it's because it's. I'm, I'm sure, sure it's filtered. It's filtered and pasteurized. Why? For shelf stability. Stability. <laughs> that's easy for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to hear for fuck's sake, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Are you drinking it out of the bottle? No, I'm smelling it out of the bottle, damn it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm yelling too much. <laughs> you know, you get this guy a couple of beers. Someone's and... cut off. So what's the style, guys? I'm going to call that guy back in here and have a face off. Hey, so what's the style, going? guys? What is this? This is a Irish beer. It's Irish red ale. <laughs> Which is remarkably like an ESB. Which is red. Actually, it is an ESB base. Usually what an Irish red is, a typical ESB base with a little bit of uh, roasted barley to make it red and roasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do get some roasty on it. It's still light. What's the alcohol percentage on this? I mean, they range anywhere from 4.5 to 5.5, right? Yeah. And this one's 4.5. Yeah. It's also 11.2 fluid ounces rather than a full 12. Ah, that's that's 333 milliliter bottle is what it is. Yeah, 33 centiliter. That's the standard European size. Standard American size now, too. Thank you. Is it? Yes, it is. Every bottle of beer that comes through your drink is 330 milliliters. You're Hmm. paying for 12 ounces and getting 11. 0.2. Everyone can drink 11 ounces. It's that 0.2 that gets you. Ah... It's like that. Is that, is I that a marathoner? Yeah. 26.9 miles. Most, most of, the, uh, most of the, uh, the, the craft brews around here are still 12s, yeah? I think. Bottle size is bottle it's size. Bottle. Well, the, the bottle size bottle is size. the same, but... What does it say? They're all 12? Yeah. I was say, the, the, what, 11, the, the, 300, the, the 330 milliliters. What size are the bottles? Harps, 12 ounces. Evil Genius, 12 ounces. That's what they say on the label. That's what they say on the 12 fluid oh, ounces. Yeah, standard, standard 50 55 milliliters. Let me see the bottle. Standard 55. What's on the bottle? What's on the bottle? 12. 12 or 355. Lord, are you cheating your customers? No. Bottle's smaller. I'm kidding. You buy a 330. Your shoulder's up higher on the 12 ounce. It's a thinner, I think it's a narrower bottle. It might be a little bit narrower. Yes, it is. It's narrower and a little shorter. It was interesting. I was on a, a flight back from France, I think, and my wife was with me, and we had both ordered a beer on the on the way back, and the best they had was Heineken, and it I'm came so, out. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I just had to stop there. Your wife, somebody married you, huh? Yes. Just like me. <laughs> yeah, somebody did. The same thing to me. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Somebody did marry me. <laughs> anyway, so it was really interesting because we were coming back from France, and 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 we ordered these Heinekens, and they cost the same, but. Two different cans got plunked down in front of us, and one of them obviously had come from the U.S. airport, and one of them had obviously come from the Paris airport, because one of them was a full 12 ounces, the other one was 330 milliliters, and you can tell the difference in the size of the cans. Did they taste the same? No. I don't remember. Fizzy yellow beans. It was fizzy yellow stuff, yeah. <laughs> so getting back, 
How would you make this, Matt? Uh, when I think of a red as it compared to a amber or a copper ale, I think of reds more along the lines of being colored by roasted malts. So, dry roasted malts. So I'm looking more in the roasted chocolate barley. and roasted barley range. So you're going to have some base malt. You're probably not going to have caramel malts that are giving you any of this flavor on here. You're probably going to... Do caramel malts give you color, though? They'll, they'll give oh, you they'll color, give but color. I, mean, they're, I don't think they're going to be really used in this as much. I mean, you're you going to get it, like, this comes all cross kind of dry. But you're mostly going to be getting a lot of your back flavor from chocolate malt or from the roasted barley. Mm. Typical typical um, recipes that I've seen call for an 80 or a 120 caramel mm. malt. You want Because you want as much color as you can right. with as little usage. Nothing in. light in the you caramel. You don't want a sweet back caramel. flavor. Right. Um, what's intriguing about this one is that from the ones that I've made and from the ones that I've seen, because it's a very popular recipe, um, the red. A lot of people, especially, especially this, time of this time of year, there's a lot of people that come through my store that want to make the red. And a lot of the flavor profile that comes through, it's, there was, there's something missing out of the Smithwicks. Mm -hmm. Smithwicks. It's <gasps> Smithwicks. <Yuck. laughs> oh. It just, just some, there's something just like, it's missing this certain body or there's there's we had the beer uh last week it is very light this it it's it's like there's there's missing this it's like a missing piece in the puzzle well, i'll say this because the first time i had an irish red it was not a smittix it was a a killian's mm -hmm. which i mean i know it's brewed by cores it was even 20 25 years ago right. when i first had it um but it did have a pretty full body and it did have the kind of the back sweetening to it Right, yeah. And, and well, that was one of the things I remember. And, of course, you know, as a, a young college guy, you know, that was good beer compared to what we were drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you need a caramel. Yeah, a something caramel. higher, 80, 120, something to give it like, almost like that burnt sugary note. Yeah, I still think There's you need that flavor little, in there. Yeah, maybe a touch of, like, not quite molasses, but sort right. of that. Yeah. Right. Um, but I also think that filtering your beer, you're ruining the beer by taking out and scrubbing out flavors. Right now, this tastes like a, a lagered red. Yeah. That's very... I mean, it's, it's missing that, that ale flavor that is so prominent about ales. So let's I think say you're right. right. So this, let's this say I was in a homebrew contest, lager. right? And I made an Irish red. And I didn't filter it, and it wasn't brilliantly clear. Would I lose points? Appearance you is want, very small. You I know, want it's only three points, but would I lose a point? You want it to be clear, but you don't necessarily need it to be brilliant clear. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see chunks of yeast. I don't want it to be cloudy. Right. No, you don't want it to be hefeweizen cloudy. No. You want it to be. Well, but the modern IPAs that are that you know a lot of them are sort of cloudy, right? The, some people uh, think that's no, a flaw. not a lot of them. Not some people. No, the east, the east, the northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Style. The northeast style is a flaw. That's a flaw. That is yeah. a flaw. Yeah. So, okay. Your yeast, after cold crashing, after conditioning in your bright tank, should drop out. It's not all going to drop out because I haven't filtered it, mm -hmm. but it's going to prop. It's going to drop out. It'll clear. clear. Yeah. yeah, you're going to get see-through clear. You're not going to get brilliant, but you're going to, you're not going to be able to read a book to the other side of it. But you'll be able to see your fingers. Mostly because it's red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get what I'm saying. So Warren, you said something interesting though. So is this is this base recipe? If you were to replace the Irish style yeast or Maybe some of the whatever malts they use with uh, with with a British style yeast and and British malts would it 
basically be the same grain bill and the same everything about it? Is this truly just an Irish bitter, or is it something? It's a, else? It, it's an English bitter. It's a, it's definitely. Well, no, I'm saying an Irish style of an English bitter. It's it's an English bitter. It's an English okay. style of an English bitter with roasted barley. Okay, gotcha. You have to think back in history where where it came from, and it came from England. So, um, but Ireland, they had whatever they had, and so they threw in roasted barley because that's what they had, and they made a red ale, and the red ale that they made became known as Irish red, and the yeast that they used was propagated over years to be used in Ireland, so it was an Irish yeast. Mm -hmm. um, at least that's the romantic side of the history. That's what's <clears throat> in writings, whether or not that's proof or true, um, when oftentimes there's a legend, when a legend becomes truth, you print the legend, right? Yeah. Um, that old saying. So whether or not that's true in this case, I don't know. Smithwick's, Smithwick's tastes, I'm going to call it Smithwick's from now on, um, <laughs> tastes to me like it's a filtered, watered-down version of what an Irish red should be. And that may be a this particular one versus where the style came from. Exactly. And and you've got something here that may have been made in the same brew house that maybe Harp was made in. I think you're and right so on the money with probably that. probably using that same process and maybe even the same yeast. I don't so think you're, you're getting using a very, the same, not the same yeast. This is not a lager. But you're getting still get getting a more crisp flavor to it right. than process. A, a more well-rounded um, fuller bodied flavor that you might expect from something with this kind of color to it. No, I, I agree. I think what you're looking here, what you see here and this result here is a product produced for the masses. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and there's one of two ways you go with the masses, it seems. Clean, clear. Is either clean, clear and, and, you know, light on flavor or you go with a sweet route. Which is, as I was talking about Killian's earlier, that's definitely got the sweet side of it. Right. And the Killian's Irish push. Red, uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, um, you know, Killian's Irish Red, ESBs use a ton of caramel malt. Use a ton of caramel mm -hmm. They're caramel light, caramel medium, caramel dark. Yeah, that's predominantly where they get the color from. They don't right. use roasted anything for right. coloring. Right. And in this case, I think they removed some of that caramel malt and add some roasted dark dry Well, it says it right on the label, but with roasted barley. Yeah. So that's probably predominantly where your color is coming from. I'd be really surprised if the grain bill is very far removed from a base malt and roasted barley. It doesn't really taste to me like there's too much in the middle of those two. I think so is it a sweeter base malt? Is it like a Munich? No, I think it's as a result of... Uh, well, the base finding and pale, and pale filtering. Yeah, it's no. probably pale ale, and and this doesn't. This one in particular doesn't have that sweet note. No, no, I think it does. Yeah. It does. I think it does. I think it's just scrubbed down through <coughs> findings and through um, filtering. Yeah, filtering really does take. Really does take out flavor. Twenty to twenty-five percent. Keith, water. Anything about this style of beer that you can think of with water? Would it be high mineral, low mineral? as something to accentuate well, the malt. From from what I've been reading, like if you go historically by beer styles, the water drove the beer. Generally speaking, the more harder and alkaline the water, the darker the beers were, because that's how they offset the alkalinity. Not that they really knew why, but they knew when they used darker malts, the beer turned out better. They got more yield out of the malt, 
you know, that's probably why this evolved to use some roasted barley for coloring. Roasted barley is a little more acidic. It'll drive the pH of the mesh in the direction it needs to go in. So harder water than any harp would use. Mm -hmm. Final analysis? Extremely drinkable. Very drinkable. Very drinkable. It's a, Solid, um, drinkable. Not shell of what, Shell of what the style has the potential to be, but... Shell is a great word for it. It's very drinkable. Mm -hmm. And we're probably going to get chastised with it because this is one highly sought-after beer that a lot of people at this time of year mm -hmm. go for. Absolutely. I mean, people think Irish, they go for the Irish ales, and... Oh, it's not there's not a lot of there's not a lot of commercial examples of Irish red. I mean, you got the Killians, you got the Smithics, and then go ahead try to find something else out there. Yeah. Easily, it's not easy to find. Well, Manscaped's put one out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He's got one in his bright tank right now. Did he keg it off yet? I don't think so. Oh, uh, oh anything on the one? No, he has. Well, he has to be close to doing it because he's putting it out Sunday. He's doing it tomorrow. Any um, advice if you're making this at home? What yeast strain to use? Uh, you definitely want to stick with, you know, your e English, your Irish, your Scottish. So you're not talking Scottish. Delish, you know, you're not talking Cal, Cal, California. You know, no, you're not. Clean, but, it, clean, clean yeast. But some, know, people, that, some people use probably, Cali Ale. Yeah, that's I mean, probably some of what's missing from this. It's a very clean yeast. There's very little in the way of esters in this, English, and that's what makes English it a little weird. English yeasts are fruity. naturally dirty. Yeah. yeah. And delicious. They give they they throw off flavors. Not they they don't throw off flavors. They throw yeah. Flavors. They throw flavor out there for you. They throw flavors. Yeah. They contribute flavor to the profile. They do, beer. and they they contribute some sweetness. They contribute a little bit of fruitiness, and not we're not talking like you know mangoes or whatnot. But they they contribute no. some ester production into it that you that you get out of the beer down the road. And this this has a cleanness to it that is not representative of a English style ale. Or an Irish style ale. I certainly would hope that you would stick to that authenticity by using that kind of yeast. You could use an American strain of yeast, but then you're making an amber. Um, I mean, you could be making a American style red. Red, yeah, but because when I think amber ale, I think of predominantly crystal. Yeah. Whereas this is dry roast. Um, but yeah, I see what you go. I see where you're going with it. It's. Well, that, you, 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 would lose, you would lose something by using an American. We've 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 brought this concept up before, though, which is the the grain bill and the yeast. Right, the grain bill can be the same, except I'm using American grain versus British grain versus you know German grain versus Belgian grain. Mm -hmm. Right, the same grain, grain bill is the same. I just calling one, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, an American amber because I'm using, you know, American grain and, a, and an American yeast. I'm call one a British bitter because I'm using British yeast and British, you know, I mean, mm. the, the grain bill may not be that radically different. It's really a lot about the and yeast. The and the flavors yeah. may not well, be the yeast all the that radically different. The grain bill too. But I'm They're... saying even the grain bill may not be that different. Right. right. And the thing yeah, is that the flavors may not be totally radically different. You can tell that there's family similarities between, yep. you know, an American amber and an Irish red and a, you know... British bitter. British bitter. <laughs> I've, I've had a Hefeweizen grain bill and fermented with a Hefeweizen yeast and fermented it with a American yeast. And one tastes like a pale ale and the other tastes like a Hefeweizen. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeast has a very 
big role to play besides just creating alcohol. Yeah, the the if you if you look at it, it's green paper, red paper, yellow paper, white paper. That's your green bill. The ink is going to be your hops, whether you have dark color or whatever, and the content of that, what you write, mm-hmm. is your yeast. That's what's going to dictate your outcome. So, um, yeast has every bit of flavor, really dictates the way that the beer is going to go, but thinking forward, before you pitch your yeast, you have to make sure that you're creating an environment for that yeast, the best environment for the yeast to go in. You're creating that path down the road to your target ale or your target lager where you're looking at. So you've got to make sure that you understand what goes in each of those beers. And if, if you're doing like the grain bill for an Irish red and then you throw in an American strain of yeast, you're going to miss the mark totally. You're going to miss it. It's going to be what, what Matt said. It's going to be a form of a red ale, but it's not going to be an Irish red, right? Um, and it's right on the money. The, the yeast strain from England and from Ireland and from Scotland, they all come from the same isles. They're all around the same same range, but they're, they're slightly different. They've all morphed over time, right? They've all morphed over time. Yeah. Slightly distance yeah. from each other, slightly different atmospheres. Like would be for me having a house strain and you having a house strain, the same yeast strain. But for me, it's a little different because it's in my house, and for you, it's a little different because your house and you're from a different part of the state, right? Actually, Matt brought up yeah. a, brought that up uh, like uh, the last time we talked. We weren't on the podcast, but you talked about the whole idea of a of a house flavor comes from successive generations of this of repitching the same yeast, right? Yeah, you eventually your yeast will <clears throat> acclimate to your brewing conditions, and it'll give you a slightly different flavor. So you can start with. White Lab, something or other. I can start with USO5. You can start with Fleischmann's Brigness. Yeah. <laughs> I can start with USO5, and Warren can have USO5, and you can have USO5, and eventually, over time, mine might produce more esters, yours might produce more phenols, Warren's might stay exactly the same. And just atmospheric pressures. Yeah. and Just the way you brew and what you give to those yeast over time, they will adapt to how you brew and what you give them and eventually make a better version of themselves to fit your brewing. It's funny, I'm sure. Well, see, that and, that's and part of it. Like, you can give five brewers the same ingredients, recipe, tell them this is what you're going to use, this is the hopping schedule. You'll get five different beers. Mm-hmm. Just we show that every time we do a barrel brew. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> We've all done the same. We had the same grain bill, the same yeast. We brewed in the same place, but everyone gets. But everybody's process different. is a little different, and I and I noticed that even with mine, where my there was something in my process that was not quite right because my beers were lighter than everybody else's. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 going back to talking about the different yeasts and whatnot, that's to your point. It's not an Irish if you use a different yeast, but that said, it's an interesting. Thing if that if that's what you want as a home brewer. Yeah, I'm not saying that there's there's, there's a right that. or wrong. There's, there's no right or wrong to yeah. that. I'm not saying that. There's no yeah. if you're aiming for an Irish red, there's a wrong. But there's no right or wrong if that's what you want to do. If that's what you want to do, yes, exactly. Then that's what you want to do. And I think I think the only thing is if you're aiming for it and you're going to a right. contest to be judged on it, right. then the problem I have is when you know somebody makes something and calls it something that it's not. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you're going to make an Irish red ale and not use authentic Irish ingredients and use that Irish yeast or that English yeast and use something like an American yeast and then call it an Irish ale, 
That's wrong because then I have people coming in here when I do make an Irish ale with Irish yeast or English yeast. That's it comes not, out yeah, it's yeah. fruity and it's not the same as in the one that I had. That example over there was the right one. No, it's not. This is the right one. Well, I want this one. Well, then I'm shit out of luck. So you, you would call yeah. what you made out of whatever ingredients, you probably hit a red ale. Yeah. It's a red ale. It's a red ale. Like Flying Fish has a red ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They call it a red ale. It's not yeah, an Irish ale. They don't red. call it an Irish ale. Right. It's not an Irish ale. So they, they, yeah. they do But that's okay. Right. And it's it that's perfectly something fine. a little bit different. Yeah. And it, it, in that case, it stands on the merits of, is it a flavor profile I like? Yeah. And which is really... That's why the end all on anything. That's why beer is so damn good. Mm-hmm. It's so subjective that what you like is not what he likes, and what he likes is not what I like. And we call can make our own fucking beer, yeah, and still get yeah. drunk off of it at the end of the day. Oh yeah. Well, it's kind of like when I bring in that goza, and yeah, I like it, but not a lot of people do. <laughs> no, everybody throws you out. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone throws up. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Chris, please don't bring the goza again. <laughs> there he goes again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on, let's finish up these. We got a couple more to do, um, but they're similar beers, so we can probably go through those rapidly. We got two beers to go through, two of the most famous beers that are uh, on the market right now. Um, uh, Irish beers, and uh, yep, Irish stouts. Yeah. So um, back in about two minutes. <laughs> get back to it um welcome we're back, back. Uh, we're going to have a taste of uh two of the most famous stouts in the world unfortunately fortunately night to end all dawn something in here unfortunately not irish stout okay? oh sorry well, irish stout well, irish stout. barrel aged so irish stouts are in a category called dry special. stouts okay irish stouts were in a category called dry stouts now they're in a category called irish stouts because there's about 
seven or eight different types of stouts that you can brew. Irish stouts are typically dry. They're and typically roasted. made with a lot of roasted malt, um, dry roasted, unmalted barley. So roasted barley is what it is. Um, and then also some maybe some adjuncts like flaked barley. I think Guinness's recipe is base malt with roasted barley and flaked barley, and that's it. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Pretty one-dimensional. Um, and then they, they go and say, oh, look how creamy it is, and it, it's put on nitro. And what nitro does to your beer, it just makes it flat, flat. and one-dimensional. So we're drinking a one-dimensional flat stout. Uh, and let's start with... See, now just on a quick note, yep. we're talking about flat beer, right? Yep. Okay. Guinness has their nitro IPA. Yep. Which I don't understand. Right. Because an IPA is all about aromatics. If you take the carbonation out of the IPA, you lose your aromatics. So Why the, would you the nitrogen doesn't push the doesn't push the aromatics up. I don't know. I don't. Well, I never... the, the the thing with the thing with nitro and the whole reason why people like doing it. Don't get me wrong. I like a good nitro stat. I'm probably gonna put my stat when I brew it on nitrogen as well as on regular. The thing with it is, if it sits there for a few minutes, it's gone flat on you, like you're talking about because nitrogen does not dissolve in beer doesn't dissolve in liquid what it does is it creates very tiny bubbles that slowly move their way through the liquid which is why you see that cascading effect well that's when it's poured part of it that is the faucet like basically but when, the, like the, beer gas is fractional some of it's co2 some of it's nitrogen but it's but the beer, thing beer is beer gas but not co2 but the thing is, is all, all right so i, I think that's a pretty beer geeky thing you just said. So explain beer gas versus what people okay. think of as it nitrogen right. versus CO two. Here's the reason why they do it in a fractional way. For a stout so, faucet so beer to gas work, is a container, a specialized container of gas. It's usually a nitrogen cylinder, but it's filled with a mixture of nitrogen and carbon dioxide. The reason they do that is to make a stout faucet give you that cascading, like thick, creamy head. You got to push it with a lot more pressure. But if you keep a beer on CO2 at the pressure levels you need to push through a stout faucet, you'll overcarbonate the crap out of your beer. If you only have, say, I don't know exactly what the proportion is, but say it's 20% of the gas mix is CO2, the CO2 dissolves into the beer. The nitrogen is just there to give it the push to get it through the restrictor plate in the stout faucet, which gives you your creamy consistency and cascade effect. Okay, so there so is CO2, and I, I remember reading something there, like 2575. Yeah, but it, yeah. It's, right. it's 2575 is what makes up beer gas. The stout faucet pretty much is, like you said, the restrictor plate. It's, it's a disc with six pinholes in it. Right. The beer has to pass through these six pinholes, and when it passes through there, it, like, shoots it out. Cavitates. Yeah. So what it does is it takes that CO2 that's in the beer... And it releases it. It's pretty much the same as shaking up your beer, cracking it open, and pouring it into a glass of sand really fast. Yeah, except it's the a little more is, control. The thing is, your beer in a regular glass is 12 to 14 uh, PSI carbonated beer. Your stout is 4 PSI. 2.4 volumes. Well, yeah. 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 Uh, so it, yeah, yeah, volumes of CO2 if you count that CO2, yeah. But um, like your Guinness and stuff, they're a quarter of that. Which is why you're pushing it on beer gas. So you're taking it at 25% CO2 instead of 100% CO2. So that you can push it out at 16 PSI on your tap and only dissolve 4 PSI in, the, in your actual beer. So when you push it through this and you're spitting it out of these little holes to knock that CO2 out, you're not going to 
foam it up and keep it there forever, you're going to foam it up a little bit. And the nitrogen is really there as the pushing agent. Your CO2 then breaks out in this thick, you know... Uh, cascade effect. Yeah, cascade, cascade effect that slowly moves its way through the beer, and the, the all the gas is broken out, so it fills up that space and makes the beer feel fuller. But once that's really stopped, and you just have your head sitting up top and there's nothing else below it, pretty much beer. all you have below is flat beer and a nice little creamy head on the top. That's... Anytime CO2 or any gas is in liquid, gas wants to be it free. They just want to be out in the atmosphere. They want to release no matter where they're in. So CO2... Uh, Especially when, a, when the gas is in my gut, it always wants to be free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so CO2 takes a little bit longer to escape. Nitrogen, immediately. And it doesn't take long for nitrogen to escape. So if you don't drink again as fast enough, you're saying it's pretty flat pretty quick. Uh, well, it's almost pretty flat at the moment. We'll let it happen it now. I'll, I'll pour it out and I'll show you. Like as soon as you get that head, there's no carbonation. You'll see hardly any little bubbles coming up. As soon as that cascading effect is done, there's no gas, and it's just that foam everyone loves because it's creamy. It's like a little. Um, well, what we so have here like are actually these. these uh, we have the Guinness and we have the Murphys, which right. we can test. But they're both these draft style cans, which I think has some sort of little disc in it. It's or a something. widget. It's yeah, a, it's a, yeah, it's a little widget. pressurized ball which, of beer it's gas. It's got nitrogen. Yeah. yeah, nitrogen. Yeah. And what, it explodes the minute that you crack it open? As soon open. as you open, atmospheric yeah. pressure see, breaks that seal. And then yeah. it has like less, a little nozzle that will spray it out and break out the CO2. Oh, I wish you could see this, audience. It's such a beautiful pour of nothing but foam. <laughs> Look at the cascade, and then I'm left with a glass of flat beer. So there's actually a, a way to pour this off of a draft. Yeah. And you want to leave a little... There it is. But it does. It does. The, the, it looks like the bubbles are actually going downhill. And I think to some degree they are. Because they're coming up the, from the middle and then pushing down the sides. Yeah. Your but what's CO2 interesting is, is trying that, to go up while your beer is trying to go around it. There's just yeah. so much in there. Yeah. And what's interesting, though, is that you poured yours... And then, and then mine you poured it. and yours. Yeah. And mine had that real cascading effect to it. Mine did. And yours is kind of sitting there just slowly. Yeah, it doesn't know what to do. It's kind of. Wait, well, which see one went first there? I did mine first and then poured So yours versus. actually had more sort of gas explosion. No, 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 no. It's, it's, shape of, it's shape of glass. I poured his first. He did the cascade. I poured mine second, doing exactly the same matches. Yeah, it's got to be a shape because this is this is the your well, basic so, non So explain the shape of glass pint. for the audience. We have straight up and down sides. We got a we got a mason jar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Warren are drinking from mason jars. They both have. We're classy here. Yeah. <laughs> These both have. And Keith is on a, a basically just a conical glass there. Uh, yeah. It's probably a four six ounce glass, and I've got basically a ten ounce uh, non -neck, half yeah. pint. No neck. Yep. Yeah. You have a no neck. He has a straight pint, a uh, straight quarter pint. Yeah. So this one's got the little bulge in it. But the cascading's basically done now. It is like this. Nice, that, yeah. dense, creamy head yeah. on it. If you look, you see, you, you know, normally you'll see beer spritzing. Yeah, you'll get mm -hmm. like CO2 points. bubbles There's coming up and you get in there. Yeah. Nothing. What I, no, what there I isn't. Actually but the thing that. is that when you drink at least the first couple of sips, you're yeah. getting a mix of beer and head, yeah. which gives you that carbonated creaminess. Yeah, creaminess. Yeah, it gives you that creamy when they pour a this pint one, of Guinness at a real Irish pub, they take forever. Well, yeah, because what they do is that what they'll do is they'll, they'll pour it and they'll let it cascade and then they'll backfill it. Again, and it gives you so a little bit nice more that's kind of like and then they stop. <laughs> yeah. And they stop. And they do, it, nice and they they do one, the, the little two, cappuccino three, thing on it. It's not a cappuccino thing. It's a, it's a um, shamrock. We'll put yeah. the shamrock on top of the head. 
And that's actually the way you're supposed to. There's tutorials on the internet. There's tutorials when you go to a bar. They, especially if you portray that you're an Irish bar, like bees, you have to know how to pour a Guinness. Which is ridiculous because now it just tastes like dull, flat stout to me. <laughs> and one thing I've never done, and I think it actually would be pretty cool to do. The interesting thing I get a, out of people this. People drink a flat beer, they know they're drinking a flat beer. But when they drink a Guinness, they're like, oh no, that creamy head. Yeah. What I want to do is give a flat beer to someone and be like, you know, this is a flat beer. And then hand them a Guinness and then tell them it's going to think, oh, this is flat too, probably. They go, no. Nope, you, you, but you're saying if you let that set head. I'm telling you right now, it's flat. Yeah, well, right now, but, no, okay, no, <laughs> no, but let's talk about the psychology of it, right? Here. You're saying that if you let that head go away, right, if you let that thing settle out finally, and somebody drank it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, this is a flat beer. Yes. But it's because of the head they think it's not. Right. Yes. Yes. And like, like if, I, if I didn't tell you this was Guinness the and you drank it, the mighty power you would instantly of tell yourself, that's flat beer. But if I told you it was Guinness, you would think differently. There's no carbonic bite. No. There's yeah. No, there isn't. Yeah. Right. No, I, and I, the only thing you get with the head still intact is that creaminess there. You get a little bit of bubbles on your tongue from that. It's honestly a visual impression of... So, is, if the so, is this, so going back to 1790 yeah. or whenever the hell they were making this, were they doing this with nitrogen and all that stuff, no, or is that no. just a modern thing? It's modern. It's a modern thing. And the thing is that probably if you're looking at it in 1759 when they started brewing this stuff, once you started pulling it out of the out of the cask, yeah. it was going flat anyway. If you've ever had a real beer, a real ale, they're low carbonated. Cask ale, they're low carbonated. Two they do, volumes, 1.8 to 2. Yeah, and they'll, they do it with a beer engine through a similar kind of restrictive screen. Mm -hmm. It's actually even pumped up from the cellar. Yeah, yeah, they're pulled. pulled. It yeah. truly is pulling a pint. Yeah. And if you, if you hear, if you've heard the... The things about British beer about being flat and warm, it's well, cellar temperature, temperature which is and in the out 50s. of a cask, if it's real ale, it's not carbonated very much, and yeah. you get that kind of like, it's the same sort of effect, not with the, it's a coarser bubble with the, the showerhead beer engine screen, but it's kind of the same thing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't really have too much carbonation. It'd be 1.8 balls, which is basically what you're drinking. No, yeah, that's it'd a little be, more than what we're drinking now, but yeah. Yeah, but if it, it is a little bit more than what we're drinking now. Yeah. And I've had, balls I've, is very low. I've been in England. I've had several of them. It's it's kind of yeah. this kind of it's thing. Very a little bit more, gonna, little bit more sparkly, but not yeah. that much. Right. And and the, the showerhead uh, beer engine thing basically kind of it it makes a nice head and kind of gives you a little bit of that right up front. But as you go down, it's flat beer. Mm -hmm. Now that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of Irishmen who go out and drink this stuff and pound it down. You can keep pounding it down because you don't have the gas bloating your stomach. Yeah, yeah. That's why you can. Ah, in Siebel, we use yeah. all that housing beer. Yeah. <laughs> another, another, yeah, another reason why they didn't like carbonation. One, carbonation was a um, just a side effect of fermentation. Mm -hmm. Carbonation mm -hmm. wasn't really meant to be in the beer when you drank it. Except people figured out that the carbonic bite is awfully nice in certain kinds of beer. Well, it, not only that, in certain it kinds of beverages. Most yeah, beverages right. that have soda, right. soda. soda pop. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, carbonation adds another layer of complexity to your beer. It was one of those things that I remember watching the show a while back. I think it was called Connections or something like that. Oh, they yeah. were talking about James Burke. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And they were talking about the whole bit about how quinine and tonic water, where the gin and tonic came mm -hmm. from, and the invention of the crown bottle cap. Right. Try and keep the gas in the tonic water, which had the quinine in it, to fight malaria. And it, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. The crown cap was just invented in the, in the 20th century. That's not... That that's I thought it was late 15, 19th, but yeah. it's 15 it's, years ago was the 20th century. 
16. 16 and a little change. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and you're talking change. less than 100 years ago, all this was new. 1960s, maybe 1970s is when nitrogen started to take hold. Right. So that's interesting, though. So it does beg the question of authentic beer. It's like, well, what the hell do we know beer tasted like in 1759? We, we have no idea. We have no, no idea. I, I honestly think you know, people have a lot of romantic notions about how beer was great exactly. back in the day. Yeah. But I don't think people understand... Like, they didn't have sanitation like we did now. Everything was partially infected. Probably everything had a little bit of Brett in it and a little sure. bit of horse oh, blanket and leather. You well, know, if Belgians, you went back the and drank... an institution of it. <laughs> you know, if you well, go, yeah, but go back and drink the beer that was available back then, you'd take a mouthful and spit it out. I, what the hell is this I don't think that's... We live in a good time, people, except the beer I don't that's, think that's the exactly. true, true. I don't think that's the true thing, though. I don't think you would spit it out. Here's the thing. Back in the 70s, there was no... Homebrewing stuff that you could get. Not in this it was right. illegal in 1979 to yeah. brew beer. That's less than a decade ago, less than 50 years ago. 1980 less turns the the, the <laughs> century for homebrewing. Decade. There are a not. There are not any uh, century. There are not. Um, there were not in 1980 any kind of homebrew store like mine. Yeah, no. There was no internet. There was no. There was all mail order, or it was going to a pharmacy to get your ingredients, or the grocery store to pick up your malt extract. So the beers that were being produced in 1980 to 1985, 86, 87, were probably very similar to the beers that were produced in the 1700s, 1800s. You know, people they were certainly fairly similar to what probably was going on during Prohibition. They were using. Fleischmann's yeast for mm-hmm. yeast strains. Now, yeah. Fleischmann yeast has a bunch of different strains it's, of yeast in it's it. It's bread yeast. Right? It's well, it's no, yeah. it's brewer's yeast. That's yeah. what makes bread, but it's not a pure strain of brewer's mm-hmm. yeast. And there's probably in this air. If I left this beer out tonight over my brewery area, I have a pellicle by the morning. Mm. So if you're a home brewer in the 1980s and you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Which no one knew what you were supposed to do. There was no star sand. There was no. Well, that's the thing. That, you know, like, there is actually, an when amazing I started, amount of stuff available, available now for home brewing. Oh, it's, oh, it's amazing. To make your yeah. beer really good. And yeah. there's an amazing amount of knowledge that's available to everybody now via the internet. That I, wasn't back then. I started brewing in 1993. And even at that time, I was basically using. The Bible, Charlie Papazian's book, right. and I sanitized with bleach. Right. Yeah. I had plastic buckets. I had, uh, you know, had the bottles. The Zap Pap system. Hell, I wasn't even doing whole uh, all grain. Uh, all grain at that point. I was doing extract. Well, you I, didn't like crushing grain with a rolling pin and a bag. I didn't know. I did that. <laughs> my first cup, my first several beers. I didn't even. I didn't even want to go there. The, way, even, the way the book was laid out, I stuck with my extract and maybe a partial mash. Yeah. And I even it. roasted my grains on a cookie sheet for yeah. caramel or crystal malt, whatever it was. Yeah, it was. It, Ro- was, it wasn't really any of that. It I was mean, that's, just, that's it was the roast, It was roasted malt. It and, wasn't and, biscuit malt. Is what yeah, I was making. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what did I have? I I actually remember, um, and I found one, and I don't know what the hell I did with it. It was um, it was a catalog from one of the homebrew suppliers at the time, mail order place. And it was probably paper catalog. It was a paper catalog. It was basically like a. 16-page little uh, pamphlet. It was 8.5 by 11 folded in with half. Like, like metal tabs holding with, it together. <laughs> with the metal staples in the middle. Yeah. And it was all basically typewritten and photocopied. I think I still have that. 
I think I still have one of those. Yeah, and I, it, it was like probably from Beer Wine Hobby up in Boston. I think they're still in business, but I mean, at the time, it was kind of like, that's what you did. You mail ordered for this stuff, and I sign up for their mailing list, and it would be like every couple of, every month, they would send me a postcard saying what their next month's Beer of the Month was. Yep. And you could you could sign up for it and, you know, send them the money, and they'd send you the kit, and you'd, you'd brew the kit. And it was kind of... And that was basically, at 93, you're talking probably 14 years after homebrewing was re legalized in the U.S. Yep. So it was just on the cusp of the first big wave of homebrewing yep. that happened in the, in the mid to late 90s. And then everything crashed, and then now this is just fantastic. Well, it didn't, it didn't really crash. What happened was men got married, or people got married. People of our generation yes, got, got married. got married. They had kids. They had dreams of opening up their homebrew or their own beer stores. Yeah. They started looking in that direction, started living their lives. And then all of a sudden, homebrewing started to happen again. Like, it never went away. 1999, it's kind of fizzled. Well, it, it kind of followed the same fizzle of the, the uh, brew pubs that were around in the late yes. 90s that didn't make it past probably 2002, 2003, 2004. In 2001 is when I started to see more and more people who started to get involved in brewing. The homebrewtalk.com started coming up, and I started yeah. reading. The, it, was, it was in its infancy. I missed that. a lot of that because that was about the time I got married in 1999. Right. and. Uh, we didn't have kids, but it was still kind of like there were a lot of other things going on. And for me personally, that was when I got into my MG hobby. So right. it was like that was the thing that I was doing right. for a while. And brewing was cool, but it took time and it took effort. Yeah. And, you know. And it was kind of like, I mean, by that time, it was kind of like been there, done that, made yeah. some good beers. Eh, you know. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on, do something else. And then by the time the car was done, I'm like, well, you know, I kind of want to do something. I want to do something with some people close by. Right. And that was really kind of like what drove me to the homebrew club was like, you know what? I you need know, to get out. And I would really like socialize. to see a survey of how many homebrewers are tinkerers or mechanics of, of some kind. Because I was a, you know, a shade tree mechanic probably since before I could drive. Mm. You know, hell, my first car was given to me from a friend that worked in the junkyard. Right. You know, it needed a lot of work just to be able to get from the junkyard to my house. Yeah, I bought one from a fraternity brother of mine for $35. Yeah. <laughs> one common thread I've seen a lot of is a DIY. Do it yourself. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the homebrewing realm. And I think that there's a lot of that. I think you're right. It's like, you know, people who are tinkerers, whether they're computer science tinkerers or, or engineers or, you know, a tradesmen or whatever. Right. Wow. This conversation goes to show you that everything leads to beer. We started off talking about how beer was made back in the 1700s and now yeah. we're talking about engineering. Yeah, I was going to bring something like that up. Like, we're talking about dry stouts and all of a sudden we're talking about cars building an MG. <laughs> well, Keith and I are way ahead of you folks. Well, so. no, it was like, you know, we're sitting here talking about beer and all of a sudden it turns into people talking about their hobbies and then Warren's cracking open the next beer without even mentioning he's cracking open the next beer that we're supposed to be talking about. Well, and I sitting here drinking it while we're... <laughs> I would have finished it. Wait, you guys gotta hurry up. I'm like, what's going on? I'm sorry. I've been yapping and not drinking. You got Chris waxing poetic over here. No, no, it's true though. I think it's a nostalgic spring for me. I think really the so back getting to the point. Batting to the 1990s and all the way up through like about 99 to 2000. This is when it started to fizzle and start to go away. But I am now opening the Murphy's stand. <laughs> Which we already opened. opened. <laughs> and poured. Um, but 
getting back to that, back in like 2001 when the, when the advent of the internet started to take hold, like that was only 15 years ago, gentlemen. I mean, that's not that long ago. I mean, it's more than half my life. Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, am I the oldest yes. guy in the room again? No, you're not. No. <laughs> well, I don't know. How old are you? I'll be 44 in April. 45 in March. Okay. Carl? See, I remember the heyday oh, of... I'm as old as Keith. I'll be 44 in April. See, I remember the heyday of the I'm internet. I'm the guy in the room. I remember CompuServe. <laughs> I remember paying like 15 cents a minute to be able to access what was the internet. Well, that's back funny then. that you should say that. I was watching something on the news, and they were doing something about CompuServe and Windows 95 to kids about your age. Yeah. And they're going, I've heard of it, but yeah. I've never really used it before. And they turn it on and like turn on the monitor. It's one of those old big fucking monitors and they're looking Yeah, they're turning on the monitor without turning on the computer. Why don't this turn on? I'm like, holy shit, I'll be able to wait for this to start up. But that's funny. That and that just goes to show you that's computers to where we are today is very equatable to how homebrewing was to where we are today. Well, I mean Yeah, technology growing up I had right? Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, the, the phone, Rotary's. the rotary phone, mm-hmm. yeah, or, or the how about the TV channel changer, zip, 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 yes, up and down, the slider, yeah. with the the A, B, and C selector <laughs> yeah. rotator switch on the side. Oh, we never had a slider, but it was a cable was, was actually was connected to the TV. It was a cable. cable, yeah, or push yeah. buttons, yeah, the yeah, push yeah. Buttons. When, when I was you really young, just lost your audience. Yeah, seriously, forty five. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they lost me, and I'm sitting here in the chair across from them. <laughs> We're gonna get mad at Bib. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay. But the, the point is... The point is, Murphy's stout tastes a lot like Guinness. <laughs> On to the next one. We're done. No. When I was a boy, we didn't have ultra-thin latex condoms. <laughs> no, that's no, no, why no. my child was born. <laughs> An old gym sock doesn't work so well. All right. Chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> I'm a little concerned. Okay, a little concerned. We were for talking, the woman? We were, no, no, I was, we were talking about really quick there, ultra thin latex condoms, and then you're using a gym sock. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're using this gym sock for. My foot. You know, there are questions you don't want to ask. That's no, one of them. Is he using it as a condom? Is he? No. For my his foot. wife upset and he's trying to clean up a mess? <laughs> so, so anyway. Anyway, getting back, I mean, like. So my point was, my point was that I think we have, well, some of us have seen the growth of this beer uh, revolution happen at a homebrew side, uh, happen with leaps and bounds, and I think the internet has all that, all that to do with it, and the fact that people want to be, want to know how to brew better beer, and those those that have the ability. I mean, Matt, you started out as a home brewer. That got you hooked. You it were, it did. You're a chemist and a biologist, and graduated with all kinds of fucking chemistry degrees. You stupid fucking nerd. Um, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> in case anyone didn't know, uh, Warren was a wrestling jock way back in school. Yeah, but that's a, he was sticking okay. guys like me and Matt in lockers. <laughs> that wasn't. Oh, and me too. <laughs> that wasn't me. But you know, you just wipe no, because me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's just it. Like, we all come from different areas. Now we all want to brew beer. We've brewed beer. We want to brew better beer. We're tired of this yellow fizzy stuff that we call 
beer on the market and we're at a point where now we're becoming more of a beer snob but the fact of the matter is is that when you start looking at beer and start dissecting beer you can't drink a beer without thinking well how can i make this better yeah and that's where we're going as a society and i think that's fucking awesome yeah i think having better beer out there is what we want and that's why we're still here talking about this on our podcast so about the uh, the Murphys here. About I Murphys. Must, I must say, I get, I got a little bit more kind of a roasty, almost smoky flavor from the Guinness. See, I got I got, I got, yeah, I got ashy from Guinness. Depth of malt. Yeah, and I got. Uh, there was funny because, to me, at this Murphy this particular time malt. from the Guinness, yeah. I got a little bit of that smokiness, almost like the back hint of a rock beer from it, mm. and. I don't know if it was a sourness that was really kind of doing that. Funny you should see that. There, in the day Guinness. of for the Guinness, right? Smoke mm-hmm. malt. Yeah, and I think I think where where you're coming from with that is the fact that, like Warren said, for the recipe, it's base malt, it's roasted barley, and it's flaked barley. The roasted barley is going to give some acidity that is going to come through with mm-hmm. that slight tartness. Well, that's authentically sweet, speaking, I've, I've well, heard Guinness blended somewhere with somewhere like that, a little bit of sour it, they beer. Added a little sour. Yes, yeah, the, historically yeah, speaking. Yeah, the reason why they blend it with sour beer is because, historically speaking, to your point before, when we were brewing beer back in the day, you'd get that sourness because they didn't really understand cleanliness. So, in order to keep that in their beer, nowadays with the cleanliness restrictions that they have, they add a little bit of a sour tone to their beer. Yeah. Acid malt. Yeah, yeah. This, how Murphy's has. Was it you, Keith, were saying it's a little more depth of, of flavor? Yes, it was definitely. I agree. Little, I, I yeah. think this I one has the, some caramel I don't get the, the smoke uh, sour notes. It's not as roasty. Yeah, yeah not, not as roasty, but yeah. yeah no it's not roasty, notes. it's not ashy. It's yeah. a little bit of sweetness in the back there. I like it. Middle mm. sweet, I think it might be like Crystal crystal 80 or something like yep. that. Um, it's definitely dark. It's a little more rounded. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's definitely yeah. dark. But I, I would, actually like it. I, like, I, would, I actually like it better than Guinness. I, I do, too. I think there's a little bit more depth. And I would love to try this without beer gas. Oh yeah, I think I regularly think this would be a a great beer. What's What's interesting is that unlike the Guinness, I think it's 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 holding to the glass a little bit more. That's the funny thing. And it may be Um, a different gas blend. I had Guinness's IPA Nitro IPA. We were talking about that before. That beer with the first sip, fantastic. I love the hops they use in it, and I love the fact that they're using British hops. As well as American hops in their nitro IPA, hmm. but after the first sip, it goes flat, and you lose every single bit of flavor, or it just becomes too cloyingly bitter. If they had it on regular gas, that beer would be fantastic. Same thing with this. This would be up there. Got I noticed that even gas. Sam Adams is jumping on the nitro bandwagon now too. You know, the, it seems to be like the new I didn't marketing. Have My black and tan suck. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing back yeah. over there. Yeah, I think that's like hey, you got nitro. Some, you got some layers some, to them. Sort of. Nitro is like the new marketing gimmick. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, nitro. Good. I don't understand what the hell is so special about nitro. It's it's the creamy head. It's that really creamy head. It's right. The, the, that difference yeah. of whatever they, what whatever the heck people think nitro does to it. But it, you're right. It's a marketing you thing. Know. because It really because, is marketing. Because... Like before uh, that, what was the big thing? You had the the you had 
IPAs and how many hops can you put in something? Right. You had Imperial, Which I and can say, we take a style really and just like when that crank it up to eleven on the alcohol? Well, well, here's this too. Why are they calling it Nitro? It sounds awesome. Oh well, yeah, because it's like oh nitro. my car's got yeah. Nitro, you know. Mm-hmm. Who do you equate Nitro to? You equate them to like a. All great American hero that was on TV. Remember the, that TV show? Oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, way great, back in the day. Yeah, Nitro. Nitro's a big guy. He's awesome. American Gladiator. American Gladiator or Nitro. Nitro on the car makes Nitro. it go so yeah, fast. Yeah, that's Nitro. Or what does that? Nitro oxide. Nitro oxide. No, not 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 just nitrous. But there was like nitromethane that they used as yes. uh, fuel, it's fuel, fuel for top fuel yeah. dragsters. And, cra- yeah. and crazy, and like a thousand horsepower dragster going nitro, down. Nitro, nitro, nitro. nitro. It's like Sounds putting, awesome, right? Yeah. It's like putting turbo on everything. It's like beer on steroids. Yes. <laughs> It's nitro, man. It's really good like, stuff. Sunday, Sunday, the Brewers, the Brewers at Guinness can't be stupid men. No, they've been doing. But I don't understand the logic behind a nitro IPA. I really don't. I think what Guinness is trying to do is they're leveraging the whole, the fact that their stout is a nitro beer. They're leveraging that through everything else. To your point, yeah. Guinness Guinness brewers are not stupid. As a matter of fact. Little known fact, and I'm going to go geek out on you guys for a minute. Woo, geeking out. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken statistics and known about the student's T-test. Yeah, I used to take geeks like you and shove them in lockers when I was in college. Yes. <laughs> we already talked about this one. Yeah, that's the cover. Did do that? No, I'm just being facetious. That, that student's T-test was something that was actually developed at Guinness the as part of their quality. Yeah, it was a statistical thing. that was T-test. Oh, T, okay. Yes. Like drinking tea? Well, it's just the letter T. Oh. Lowercase T. And it's a s- statistical distribution that they used, and it was part of their quality control thing. And um, the way they, did s- they developed this statistical model, they actually wrote a paper on it and it got published. And at the time, which I think was probably the late 19th century, maybe early 20th, um, it was, it was um, uh, customary if you wanted to remain anonymous, that you would just uh, author your paper as student, which is why it's called the student t-test. And it was developed at Guinness. In Ireland. Mm -hmm. Very good. By the brewers looking at quality control of the stout. That was my best impression of a cricket. I know. Warren's over there making farting sounds on a couch. <laughs> All right. So, so, so that, by the way, no, yes, really I warned everybody that I was geeking out on this. Yeah. I did my geek bit. We're done. So yeah. Guinness, <laughs> Guinness versus Murphy's, guys. Murphy's all the way. Murphy's, Murphy's yeah. all the way. Murphy's. Um, one dimensional sourness. Yeah. I'd give de- more depth of flavor for the stout on Murphy's. Yeah. Than I like the, the I like the sourness in Guinness. I like that it kind of accentuated some of the uh, the roasty, smoky flavors. But I agree that the uh, the the Murphy's has got a Better depth of flavor in its malt bill. Murphy's is made for the masses. Murphy's or Guinness? Murphy's. Guinness is made for the diehards. Ah. So I'll tell you my I'll tell you my little Guinness story. I never really liked Guinness um, ever in my life, uh, and in I don't know 1998 or something like that. No, uh, it was earlier than that. But no, sorry, it was later than that. I should say it was probably about 2000. 2005. Anyway, I went to uh, Ireland. My wife's um, aunt has lived in Ireland for like 30, 40 years. And I went to Ireland uh, on a business trip, but I spent a couple extra days in Ireland to visit with her family. And the first night I was with the family, this was Northern Ireland, a town 
um, near Oma Island. And they took me out and it was like, well, I have to have the customary Guinness pint because I'm in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I don't like Guinness at all. But I have it. You, were you in Northern I, Republic? I was in, Nor- I was in, Northern, I was, no, it was Northern Ireland. Northern Oma, okay. Oma is, a, is, the, is the town. Or it was, it's near Oma. It was, they so were yeah, the, the, the yeah. part of Great Britain of Northern right. Ireland. Okay. So, I'm, so I don't never like Guinness. So I go up there and they pour me a pint of Guinness. And I say, all right, well, I have to drink it. Because when in Rome, right? Yeah. yeah. And I Northern drink it and I'm like, you know what? Ireland. This is, yeah, <laughs> right. I was like, you know what? This isn't, this, this isn't bad. I freaking hate Guinness back home, but this, this isn't bad. I said, it must have something to do with freshness. You know, the brewery's, you know, I don't know, 100 miles away or whatever down in, in Dublin. Uh, I said, okay, so new rule. I was like, I will never, I said, I will never, ever, 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 ever have Guinness again unless I'm in Ireland. So then uh, we do end up in Dublin uh, near the Guinness Brewery. And we literally, I'm having a Guinness in the bar that's across the street from the Guinness Brewery. I'm like looking at the Guinness Brewery and I'm in the bar across the street from it. Clearly they have like a pipeline directly into that bar from the Guinness Brewery. And it was even better. No shit, it was even better than the one I had had in Northern Ireland the day before. Right? So I was like, another new rule. I will never, never, ever, 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 ever have a Guinness again unless I am sitting here in this spot across from the brewery. Because it was, it was literally that much better when it was that much fresher, you know, straight out of the brewery. And so the stuff in the U.S. just may not be good compared to what's coming off the taps uh, in Ireland. That may be why it's so much more popular. You know, why it's so stuff popular. that's in the U.S. Yeah. now is made in the U.S. now. So. Oh, is it? Is that right? Ah, I did not know that. You're saying the Guinness Stout is made in the U.S. I would assume if they have a brewery in the U.S. that they're going to make it. Not according to this can. Yeah, it's in Dublin, right? Brewed in Ireland in by Dublin. Guinness and Company, St. James Gate, Dublin, yeah, Ireland. Brewed in Dublin. Good. Good. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't use... A different recipe for export because I've heard that as well. Hmm. Yeah, I was and certainly the, the first time Guinness was actually lower in alcohol in Ireland for tax purposes. I've heard that too, and that's one of the reasons why people pound so many pints over there is because it's. I'll tell you it's what, it's like three percent. I like know. their FES better than their regular draft. Mm, four and a half percent. Yes, that's and actually, favorite. to be quite honest, when I first got into Guinness, was back in the early nineties. And I think downtown that Troy, beat the crap having the, the, the bottled foreign extra stout, and it was thick and syrupy and bitter and sweet and really tasty. Shameless plug tonight. Shameless plug. And the reason why I'm saying this now is because I burped. I had a rice ball from um, <laughs> the bakery right down the road here. I want to completely derail the conversation. Shameless plug. Shameless plug for the place I don't know the name of. What's that place down there? Rico Pan. The Rico Pan Bakery. Rico Pan. Yes, (laughs) Rico Pan Bakery. They made this rice ball. The rice ball was good, but it was the hot sauce that they put along with it. I ate a rice ball with hot sauce. Was it was it a, um, oh, yeah, a vinegary white hot sauce or is like a thick hot sauce? That was vinegary. Vinegary? Are they? Is it? Fresh, <laughs> Puerto Rican place. Yeah. Ah, pique. Pique. It's it's the pineapple hot sauce vine- hot incredibly vinegar. Incredibly oh, spicy. Incredibly fantastic. fresh. And it was mm-hmm. awesome on my rice ball. So if you're ever in around the town of Hackett Sound and you have a place to eat, go to the Rico Pan. They have a great rice ball. I gotta check that place out, and it's one of those things because pique is one of those things that when I was down in Puerto Rico and my wife is from there, my mother-in-law still lives there. So we go down there every once in a while. The PK is one of those things that um, incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yep. It's very hot fresh. peppers and pineapple yep. and vinegar. So and fresh. Just, oh. fresh. 
So uh, that was my shameless plug. So here, so you guys, you may have answered the the question, the 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 reason that the Guinness tasted different to me, and I liked it so much better in Ireland. You are absolutely correct. Guinness original slash extra stout is five percent in the United States, Canada, and most of Europe. It is four point two or four point three percent in Ireland. Mm -hmm. So it is a different recipe. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. I would never have thought that was the reason I like I just figured it was a freshness thing, but it is mm. a different recipe. Very cool. The uh, they you know the, there's one one little uh, uh, thing that I know about Guinness as well is that everybody gets kind of crazy making stouts. They say, Oh, I have to have the Dublin water profile to make my stout cause to to make my Guinness clone, except Guinness has their water piped in from the mountains. Okay, so so here here's here's what Actually, we can do. We can have a totally different yeah. a totally different uh, topic about this or, right. or show. Yeah. We can go on for hours about, about this. water. My thing about water is you don't make the water for the city. You make it for the beer that you're making yeah. it for. Right. Here here's here's the thing that nobody knows. When everyone talks about like Burton on Trent water, oh, yeah. Did they boil it. Did they nobody it? knows what the hell the brewers were doing with the water and where they were sourcing it because it might have been from the river. Some of it might have been from the river, and some of it might have been from the town wells. And then they boiled it to decarbonate. There's a lot of different processes you can do to change your water. Don't try to build a water profile to match a city. A city. That's not the way to go about it. Worry That's about not the way this works. Work. That's not the way any of this works. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to befriend you. It's yeah. <laughs> not the way this works. What the hell is that from? It's from it's commercial. a commercial. Some, yeah. some commercial, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> two old ladies are talking and she's like, she's look at my wall of photos. Look at my wall of photos. That's not how this works. <laughs> I'm going to befriend you. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> All right, guys. So making so making a, an Irish stout like this, how what would you, what uh, what's what's green bill? I think you talked about it before, Guinness. But you know, is Murphy's any fun, fundamentally any different? Throw in some crystal. Yeah, yeah. Higher higher end colors, little extra sweetness, little extra something something. Little residual sugar left in your. Murphy's might even use like a different blend of base malts too. Yeah. It's not just a crystal sweetness that's in there. It's definitely got. It might a not even more be a blend. It might be a different. Um, right. A different base malt altogether. What about uh, yeast? Anything special about this yeast? Same. I, I, I think that yeast is going to give you the fruitiness that you want. You want the English ale yeast in there. Or the Irish ale yeast. Or the Scottish ale yeast. Something, something from that region. So is it the same as an Irish red yeast, pretty much? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Pretty similar to it, if not, yeah. If not the same, yeah. What's the... How do I get Considering that, that it's from Guinness and a Guinness Brewery, they probably propagate one yeast strain. But... They probably have to clean it, so. How about uh, mashing? Is this a big body beer? Is this a high temp, a low temp? This feels like a low temp beer because yeah. they're, they're, they're. Um, well, they're supposed to be dry Irish. Yeah, your dry Irish is going to be a little bit. very drinkable. It, I mean, this is the sort of thing, I mean, you, you, you're there, and I know the alcohol level has a bit to do with it, mm -hmm. but it still is one of those things where it's like people are, and, uh, it's a session beer. You're going to sit your down, body, you're going to Your body, if you're going to have any on this, is not going to come from the fact that you mashed a high temperature. Right. It's going to come from the fact that you used adjuncts flaked or, adjuncts. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. flaked, uh, flaked barley, flaked oats, whatever. Yeah. Um, the side flavor that you're getting in this a little bit here and there could very well be a different mix of pale malts coming through. Whether maybe I don't I don't think they would use any marisada and something like this, but it could be a different um, proprietary cook on a pale malt. Um, and there's some crystal malt in there. 
there's definitely a little bit of that, that crystal sweetness. Probably crystal 80. I'm not getting raisin prune. I'm getting more uh, caramel. caramel. Yeah, more dark. solid caramel, not not toff light toffee, but caramel flavors. So. We're gonna optic malt maybe, mm. um, optic two row, which is a little bit lighter than Harris Otter. Yeah. But um, is there any is there any hops of appreciable hops in this? Is this like one IBU? No, there's there's appreciable hops. There's, there's hops definitely in there, but it's it's I find it all more on balanced. the bittering side. Yeah. I think it's all so balanced. it makes it a balance between the bittering and the sweetness. You don't get a lot of. It's not an IPA hop aroma kind yeah, of thing. Generally it's, speaking, with a dry a dry Irish stout, you're you're looking at a bittering addition, and that's it. Yeah, you're yeah. not really doing a late hopping thing, so you're looking for something like that's going to have a clean bittering. At the end of the brew, usually when you get all that aroma out of it, and what you're looking for this for flavor too, flavors in the middle. So you want to kind of skip the flavor. You want that roastiness to come through, then you want it to finish with a, an aroma of roast. Like, so you get that roasting. So you don't want to muddle it up with any hops. You can. In a foreign extra stout, you're going to muddle it up a little bit with some hops. Mostly the hops that you're talking about are English style. Bramley Cross, Challenger, uh, Admiral, Fuggles, East Kent Goldings. Stuff that comes from that region. Um, to and get is, does Ireland use the same hops? Is there an Irish strain of hops that's more... There's no Irish British. strain of hops. Yeah, okay. It's British. It's remember. all British. Yeah. At least that's what I know of. I mean... Yeah. At least traditionally. Yeah, yeah, traditionally. I don't know of any Irish hops. No. Usually they don't That's not the same. I guess the question is, are they growing EKG in Ireland or... No. EKG is grown in East Kent. In East Kent. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I uh, so one thing I had done for the guys is I poured them a true little uh, Irish black and tan here. Yeah, it's micro. It was uh, about two ounces of a black and tan harps. Uh, there honey. is a difference in the color between the top and the a bottom. Harp, harp. There, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't have a spoon or anything to do with it. Oh, I have. You should ask me. I have a spoon. Oh, uh, that's fine. That's fine. I reject mine. But it's a, it's a traditional. Mine. That this is that's a true uh, uh, a Guinness over harps uh, black and tan. There you go. With that, mm. gentlemen, doctor, cheers, cheers. It's launching. Till the next time, um, and please like us. On we have a Facebook page. Of course, we have a Facebook page. Please like us on Facebook. <laughs> on, Twitter. Now. <laughs> on Twitter. On Google Plus. <laughs> on Google I'm Plus. Sure right now. I was like, what the hell have I been doing for these past six months? <laughs> really? It's like, yeah. Our producer just I've had been, like don't, this. Don't worry. No, my cousin came over last week. I hung out over here, and she works in social media yeah, and public relations. Have, yeah. So I've been taking pictures with the help of Carl. <laughs> I've been posting about stuff. We're going to actually try to do some real movement forward and get people to know this. No, we will. We'll, we'll yeah. it's, only, it's great that our primary host, well, one of our two primary hosts, Warren's like, do we have a Facebook? Do we have an email address? Do we post this podcast on the internet? You know what's funny? Is, I don't know. Like, why did people that get question, our podcast? Veins stood out <laughs> on Carl's neck. No, and they head. did not. I, I just had. I had one of. I, I've been now for the past. Uh, what is it? Five days posting about yes, the podcast. Yeah. How, how, how many? How many people have you told about this, Carl? Have a, how many people? Oh, hundreds. And how many people listen? have you told about this? Recently, <laughs> anybody that's in on my Facebook, yeah, anybody that's on his, yeah, yeah his Facebook, it's, it's or, mostly or my Twitter. social media. I mean, I've, I mentioned it to my friends in addition to it, but it's mostly my social media that's been getting it recently. 
And what I thought was really cool is the fact that we have this, you know, the radio thing going forward with it. One of the guys was on a road trip today, and he posted a picture uh, in a comment on one of the things I put forward of him listening to it on a radio. And it shows right, yeah. Matt Ziegler, Warren Wilson, the Cool Ship podcast, wait, and where he says, is on it. And says it says Matt tri- Ziegler, Warren Wilson? Yeah, it says... I don't know which oh, side. Oh, here we go. I don't Warren know which Wilson. side we're on. <laughs> Warren Wilson and Matt Ziegler. I'm just kidding. Um, but I tell, it showed where he was in there. It was the, the last episode of it. He was listening in the car. As many like, people, awesome, man. As many people that come through this store, I tell every single day. So for me, word of mouth has always been my best. And You're like, yeah, I got a podcast. I'm pretty sure we don't have a website. I, we do have no. <laughs> fuck you. I didn't say website. I said Facebook. What's the name I know of we have a fucking website <laughs> because I fucking listen to the goddamn you show. You don't listen to anything. How many fucking shows have you listened to yet? I listen to them all. Oh, when oh, when we're fucking recording, I listen to every single one of them, motherfucker. Wow. So don't fucking tell me I don't promote. Get them. out! Get and out! Don't tell. Get the fuck out! And don't tell so me I don't promote my page. Apparently, nah, it's time for news. Anger oh issues. Oh, what a great way to end the show. <laughs> a little bit of an inside joke in there, but we'll leave it at that. Yes, we're not going to get into that right now. Hey, by no. the way, Matt's, Matt's referring to the fact that we are now on Glass Onion Radio as well on the internet. GlassOnionRadio.com. Hey, Mark Douglas, who runs Glass Onion Radio, we're sorry for this episode. <laughs> My producer but we love fucking... you. At the bottom of our hearts. We remembered which computer to get. Well, before we came here, we would have had this show. Yeah, we would have had probably better audio as well. Yeah, we apologize on the back end for no, the audio. No, as well. our producer apologizes. We don't apologize for shit. No, we just drink. <laughs> yeah, that's all our wives say that too. We never apologize for shit. Yeah. <laughs> apologize? Right. What's that word mean? Say goodnight, boys. Uh, Good night, boys. Till next time on the. Shit. <laughs> you have to have forgot our name. How could you forget our name? Because I've been doing. <laughs> hey, I was gonna say the Final Gravity podcast. I know you were. I was, but we are something really ingrained in my head. Cool ship. We are on the cool ship. I know. I named it. <laughs> Till next time on the Cool Ship Enterprise. <laughs> Good night.
I ain't got no glass. I ain't got no glass. I got a glass. You ain't got no glass? Well, we can. Not from Ireland. I ain't got no glass. No glass or no class? You got a glass? Everybody got a glass. Yep. I ain't got no glass. Ireland, by the way, of South Carolina or something? What you talking about? (laughs) Pretty sure that kid wasn't from Ireland. (laughs) He's a black Irish. There you got some editing to do. <laughs> I've always got a lot of editing to do.